Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There are tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Preset Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts or another area of Preset Ministries Canada, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Hello, everyone. Mark Sheldrake here, Unlocking the Truth podcast, episode 3 of 1 Thessalonians. Each and every week that I dig into the homework, I hope you're studying with us. Oh, I hope you're digging in on your own through uh, the Precept Upon Precept, In and Out, or the new inductive study series on First Thessalonians, because there are so many good aha moments in the text. Another aha moment in the text this week for me, so I can't wait to share it with you. But honestly, there is nothing better than digging into the Word of God, discovering truth for yourself, uh, having those light bulbs come on, and like getting fired up. It's one of those weeks where you just pick up your Bible and you want to run down the hallway and find another staff member to talk to about it because it is so cool. And so what we're going to do, let's pray. Because uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's pray and let's get into the text and really begin to understand uh, how Paul is laying out uh, the first couple chapters of this book. So, Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to dig into the word. We thank you that we can uh, understand scripture through the power of your Holy Spirit that, Father, we can apply Scripture when your Holy Spirit speaks to us uh, and shows us the areas of our heart and our mind where we need to be changed. So, Father, I pray that as we walk through the Scripture uh, today, that we would be people who would not only just hear words coming through technology, but we would be people who would want to go back and dig into the text ourselves and see these truths, understand these truths, apply these truths, and walk in these truths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here's where we're at. We've got uh, this letter, 1 Thessalonians, overview. We know that Paul wrote it. Uh, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy sent later to this church. We know that when Paul And Silas, according to Acts chapter 17, brought the gospel message to Thessalonica. There was much opposition. We know that amidst all of this, that the gospel went forward, not in word only, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. We're going to focus on that verse 
again today, but we're going to kind of draw it back into chapter 2. We know that this church received the gospel. They, they took the gospel in, they heard it, they believed it, they received it, and they took it out. And so that's where we got to in our previous um, week was that we really got through the end of chapter 1 to know that these people were completely transformed. They turned from idols to serve a living and true God, and they took the word of God, they took their faith with them everywhere they went. They were imitators of not only Paul and Silvanus, but they were imitators of Jesus. So this week, uh, if I were to put that title on this kind of podcast, all right, if I was to title it as though it were a sermon in a church and you'd be looking in the bulletin, the title for this would be The Message and the Messenger. And so uh, we're going to look first at the message, and then we'll break down and look at the messenger. So essentially, you normally would say, hey, okay, well, we're going to get a three-point sermon. No, two points, two main points today, message, messenger. we got to go back to verse 5, and we're going to start there of chapter 1, and we're just going to kind of pull this all together and see what we've got. Okay, so let me uh, read to you verse 5, and then we'll walk through. So, uh, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be. Last week in the podcast, we walked through five ways in which the gospel went forward. I want to remind you of those five ways. It went in word. It went in power. It went in the Holy Spirit. It went with full conviction. It went with action. And so there's four of the five right there. But you've got all of these different ways in which the gospel went forward. And what we see here is what we want to look at is we want to look at how it went forward in power. And we want to look at how it went forward in full conviction. And we want to look forward and see how it came in example. The message and the messenger. So where do we start? We've got to go back to the very foundation of what is the message. And so if you've followed along in previous podcasts, well, you've heard this. You've you know this. You've you've participated in this. You have a good understanding of it, but we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 to 9 will tell us what the gospel message is. This is the most interesting thing. Uh, when you ask people what the gospel is, they'll tell you that it's the good news. Obviously, it's the good news, but what's the good news? Uh, tell me uh, exactly what you're referring to when it comes to the good news. Because as we are people, and when we get to the messenger part, you're going to understand that it's our job to go out and share the gospel. But we must know the gospel. We've got to be able to explain the gospel. There's only one gospel. If you studied with us in Colossians and you followed along in the podcast, there was the people of Colossae being offered a 
another route to salvation. There's only one route to salvation. There's only one gospel message. There's only one ultimate sacrifice that's made uh, for the redemption of sin. There's only one Jesus. There's only one that was nailed to the cross and their blood was shed for us. And so we've got to really understand the gospel message. We've got to be able to not just know it with our heads. We've got to know it with our hearts. And we've got to be fully convinced that what happened at Calvary is absolute truth. And so we're going to go back to the example of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and really know the gospel. All right. So he says, now I made known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you and you also received in which you also stand in which you are saved. Um, this is phenomenal. Like this is the foundation of the Christian faith is the gospel. Look what he says there. He says that, you know, you, he preached it to them, uh, comparable to Thessalonians. It went in word. So Paul preached it. And as he says in Corinthians, he it went forward not only in words. So there is an opportunity and a point where you actually have to share the words of the gospel. You would not believe the number of times that through my ministry career and the people that I have served with in church, the people who have been a part of my congregations, that will say, you know what, I really don't share the gospel with people like I I don't share the words of the gospel. What I try to do is live out the gospel and so people that can see it. But as we're going to see as we walk through uh, Thessalonians this morning, you're going to see that one, you have to share the words and two, you have to live it out. It's the message and the messenger. So look what he says. He says that he preached it to them, that they received it, and now you stand in it. You you live in it. It, it is your life. It's it surrounds you. You're you're stationary in it. You're you're standing upon it. It is the foundation of your faith. Uh, he also says that you are saved by that gospel. I mean, preached it, received it, stand in it, saved in it. Do you see those uh, amazing comparisons uh, to what we've got? in the passage in 1 Thessalonians. All right, so you're saved in it. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you a first importance, which I also received. And now here it is. Okay, so I'm giving you what I was given. So uh, he's giving the Corinthian church what Jesus gave him on the road to Damascus, the gospel message. All right, and he says uh, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So if you were to write out the points of the gospel, the first is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, meaning that all the way back, all the way back into Genesis, that the gospel message has run through the entire Bible. The whole point of this is that everything points to Jesus as the Savior of the world, the one who will take the sins of the world away for those who believe. And so all through scriptures, all the prophets, everybody's pointing to one thing. They are pointing to 
Jesus. It's absolutely amazing. In, in the other studies that I've been working through, I've been studying through Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 19 tells us that um, uh, comparables of a lioness raising up a cub and then that cub being taken away and a lioness raising up another cub and that cub being taken away and then a third cub being taken away. And what it's all pointing to, that, that um, vision that Ezekiel is having through God, it's all pointing to all of these kings being removed from power from Judah, all these kings being taken away. The final cub that's removed from the power during the time of Babylonian exile, when Nebuchadnezzar goes in, that last king removed is Zedekiah. And from Zedekiah all the way to Jesus, when Jesus reigns on the throne, there is no other king in the Davidic line. And so Jesus is the next in line. From, e from Ezekiel 19, it's all pointing to Jesus. And so it's all about the gospel. This is why the message of the gospel is so important. And so what you've got here is you've got that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. Prophecy fulfilled when Jesus died. And then it says that he was buried. He was buried and on the third day he rose again. And that when he rose again is according to the scripture prophecy fulfilled that Jesus Christ would be raised from the dead, all right, so that he would die, buried three days, and raised again. Isaiah 53 points us to the action and the work that would occur at Calvary. It's all prophecy fulfilled. It's never been a plan B for Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus has been plan A from the very beginning. Thus, we must know and understand the message. We've got to know that the message is that he died for our sins according to the scripture prophecy fulfilled, that he was buried three days, and he rose again, prophecy fulfilled. And that after he rose from the dead, this is very important, that after he rose from the dead, he appeared to many. It says here that he appeared to Cephas and then the 12, and he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And then for at least, for I am the least, uh, sorry, he says he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and then the last of all, the untimely born, he appeared to me, Paul. And so I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. And so you've got this historical proof of prophecy fulfilled when he appears to all of these people before his ascension. And so now, as a part of the entire gospel, you have that Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. He appeared to many. The historical proof is so important as we share the gospel. Why? Because since the beginning, when Jesus was walking this earth, all of the skeptics, everybody who questioned the gospel, wanted a sign. They wanted a proof that this was 
something that was happening. So therefore, you have a sign, you have a proof that when Jesus appears, not to one person, because you know what? It's really easy to not believe one person in their story. Not to two people. Okay, two people can collaborate, but more than 500 at one time. Have you ever played the telephone game? Have you ever tried to whisper in somebody's ear and talk to them? And then what happens when you get to the end of the line? The story's changed. But the story has not changed. The action of the gospel has not changed from the very beginning. The foundation of the truths of the gospel have not changed. Now, wait, you might be saying, well, yes, they have. No, false teachers change the proponents of the gospel. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But what you have is you've got the foundation of the gospel. Why is it so important to share the gospel and the, and the points that you have here? Well, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, which we covered in last week's podcast as well. But you know what? Just like in the inductive method, all right? You read the scripture more than once, repetition is good. Why is repetition good? Because it begins to sink into your hearts and minds and you memorize these verses. So here is a description of the gospel, Romans chapter 1, as Paul talks about. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. All right, so in the gospel, let's look at it. What's in the gospel? In the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So what is the power behind it? It's not the words in which the way we present it and the way we make it look and how we, you know, put it around flashing lights and and smoke machines and all of those things and put it with good musical bands and all that. No, the power is prophecy fulfilled. The power behind that is the actual work on the cross. You see, sometimes we get hung up in the way that we want to present this message. We want to worry about, will I have the right words to say? Will I be able to uh, present it in a way, do I have the proper PowerPoint presentation, as I mentioned last week? Do I have the proper track in front of me? Look, the power is the action that was taken a couple thousand years ago. It's the work of the cross. It's the Holy Spirit working in and through both the deliverer of the message as well as the receiver of the message. Listen, God has got to soften the hearts of the individuals to receive this message, as we talked about last week. It is an unreal message that is very hard to believe unless God softens the heart of the individual to receive it. As Paul in the book of Acts, and I've got some cross-references that I want you to kind of look up. You can look them up on your own. But uh, there are a number of passages in, in the book of Acts that will help you to see the different ways in which 
the gospel was presented. Acts chapter 18, uh, verses 1 to 5. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 33 uh, and 35. All right, and so that is a couple of them. I'll give you a few more. The other cross-reference is in Acts chapter 26, when Paul is going before Agrippa and Festus, and he's presenting the gospel. You have Festus, who listens to the gospel and calls Paul crazy, and you have Agrippa, who's listening to the gospel, and he says, uh, you are so convincing, you might make me become a Christian. So there's two reactions to the message. There's one that if you're heart is softened to it, you, you can believe it, you can receive it, you can walk in it. The other end of that is that people look at you like you're crazy when you share this message. Can you imagine sharing? Okay, uh, Jesus, who, who died, he met me on the road to Damascus. He, he told me that I was persecuting the church and that I should go after and work for him. And just the whole vision of what Paul's doing and made his whole life surround all of that causes one person to go, you're nuts. You're crazy. There are other people probably in this day and age that would say the same thing about us. Why in the world are you following all those rules and all those tenets and all those commandments of the Bible? You can just live for yourself and determine your own truth. It's much better to live for yourself I remember sitting in a restaurant with Kay Arthur, a Swiss chalet, which they don't have in the United States. It's like the Christian chicken. It has no comparison to Chick-fil-A. So anyone listening from America, we so desperately need Chick-fil-A's here. Anyway, so I took Kay there, and it was just after she had re- helped uh, release Heaven, Hell, and Life After Death. And she looked at the waitress and the waitress said she was on a cigarette break or a smoke break and she said Kay said to the waitress do you know where you're gonna go when you die I mean just to catch yourself off guard that's the question she asked no it wasn't anything like how are you doing today do you know where you're going to die now this is what the waitress said The waitress said she believed that after death, that when she's buried, her mind, heart, and soul would be buried in the ground, and that through a process of regeneration, her soul would come up through the ground and enter into somebody else. Interesting. I'd I'd not heard that too many times, so we asked her to explain it a little bit more. And then we walked with her through what it's like to die according to the scriptures. That a death for one who does not believe is one filled with torment, one filled with uh, destruction, one filled with eternal heartache and pain. But one who loves Jesus is filled with an eternity of singing praise and worship and gold streets and, and rivers flowing out of trees of life and, and a king so well uh, bright in his face and his body that it, it, from the throne the whole world is lit. That there is life for the one who 
lives for Jesus. Uh, in the matter of just a short few minutes, uh, the gospel message went forward through K to this waitress. The outcome, unknown. The message, presented. But here you have, you have this gospel message that the power is behind the action and the work that was done on the cross. But it is so vital for us to be able to share these truths and these importance uh, proponents of the gospel. Jesus died. He was buried. All according to the scripture, he was raised again. He appeared to many. That is where the power is. Now, the next part in 1 Thessalonians, that the message is vital. The moment you water down the message, it loses its power and its potency. So why would you water it down? We'll get to that in a minute. So here you have that you've got the power of the message. Okay, it came in the Holy Spirit. Well, we've talked about that, that no man comes to the Father unless the Father draws him to him. The Holy Spirit has got to be at work. Now, the interesting thing, here comes the light bulb moment of the week. Are you ready? It's in this full conviction. Now, you and I, when we hear full conviction, and maybe you were working through this and you saw full conviction, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's what happens. You preach the gospel, people hear the gospel, and they're broken in their sin. That's why I talked about last week as well, that they're broken in their sin. They're fully convicted of the gospel message. Now, remember, all right, because this is where we move. We know the message. Now we go to the messenger. This full conviction that is talked about in verse 5 actually connects to chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Because this full conviction is kind of like, I was trying to think of the best way to describe it. It's like the double-edged sword. All right, so the full conviction goes both ways ways. Wait, no, that can't be possible. I need to go look that up in a commentary. I've got to figure, no, he, he's way off. No, full conviction is a double-edged sword. All right, watch. All right, here's what it is. As Paul works, and we're going to see this as we work through the 12 verses, that Paul is so fully convinced of the truth of the gospel and the transformation in his own life that when he goes to present it to people, that people see not only in his life, but also in his words, that he is completely changed and transformed by the gospel, that it becomes so addictive for other people to see the actual change in their lives, that they too see, experience, and feel the change of the gospel and they become fully convinced that their lives are nowhere near where they need to be and that they need a savior. So there is some truth behind, you know what? I need my life to reflect that of gospel transformation if I'm going to share the gospel with others because they need to hear the words they need to see it in action. Can you imagine for a moment Paul walking in to a church in Thessalonica, to a, a location where he had just come out of being beaten, put in prison? You walk in and you're, well, Paul, what's, what's going on? What's happened to you? Well, I've been 
beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been put in prison. I've been persecuted. I've been falsely accused. I've been shamed. I've had this happen to me and that happen to me. And you could, you could just go on with the list of things that's happened to Paul. And guess what? He's still pushing the gospel forward. Wouldn't that just draw a question for you? Wouldn't you be like, what is this guy so fully convinced of that he's willing to face all of this for that message? I mean, this happens all around the world right now. This happens in places like China and Afghanistan. This happens in places like the Ukraine. This happens in places like Eurasia. Our Eurasian ministry does phenomenal work. We have people in Russia who experience great persecution and suffering for the gospel, but they continue to propel it forward and to share it and impact more people with it because they're fully convinced that this is the way, the truth, and the life. That nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus. It becomes the fuel for which they propel and move forward. So Paul walking into a location fully convinced of the gospel truth, that has to reflect. Now think about you and I for a minute, and we'll come to this as we continue to work through chapter 2. But if you think through this, what are the areas in your life that do not reflect the gospel? that people can plainly see that do affect your testimony, where your words and your actions don't line up. You see, this is where the Holy Spirit does some work this week because we look and we see, yeah, they came to a full conviction. I came to a full conviction, but fully convinced of the gospel truth on the part of the messenger is as powerful as the message because he is living out the message. I found this really great quote this week and I, I wanted to share with you it with you just concerning the gospel message and the quote goes like this, to enter the kingdom of God and glory is our privilege then to live lives worthy of God is our duty. So let me read that to you again. To enter God's kingdom and glory is our privilege, but then to live lives worthy of God is our duty. So the message and the messenger are powerful things and tools in the world today. You can't just speak the message without living it out. That's what we're called to do. Uh, we can't do anything to enter into the kingdom of God. It's a free gift. It's a gift that comes through the, through the message. But it becomes our duty to live out the message until the return of Jesus Christ. And that's where we get to the section of Scripture that we want to get to today. What a, what a big setup. Uh, chapter 2. Uh, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. 
But after we'd already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or a way of deceit. But just as we'd been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with the pretext of greed, uh, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we may, might have asserted by our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Uh, we'll, we'll start it. We'll, we'll stay there for a moment. But there's what's happening here is remember that Paul was in Thessalonica with much opposition, that his entire ministry surrounded opposition, which brings me to the point. It's very interesting that the gospel message in itself is an offensive message. It's very offensive. And so that as you preach it and as you live it, you should see opposition in your life. Because when you stand for the truth and you stand on the truth of Jesus Christ, it, like in Acts chapter 17, you're going to be accused of a message that is upsetting the entire world. It is an offensive message, and therefore you will face opposition for living it and speaking it. So be prepared for it. Paul prepared these people for it. They knew that they were going to face suffering for the gospel. And so if you're not facing it when you're preaching the gospel, are you truly preaching it? Because you know what the one kind of red flag in the room is? Is that we want to be able to present the gospel. We want to be able to present Jesus without presenting wrath. Or we want to do it to preach it without consequences of sin. Which we know that if you don't have Jesus Christ, you are destined for death. Eternal death, physical death. So that's why it's offensive. Because when you actually share that you're going to die for your sins and that you'll spend eternity in the pit of fire, that becomes offensive for people. Well, how dare you tell me that I'm going to hell? I'm a good person. I've done good things. Yeah, great, you've done good things, but you don't have Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's offensive stuff, especially in the world today. So as Paul had opposition here, they began to question his credibility. We saw that in Acts chapter 17. That's why they went after him. They were jealous people. They created a mob. They accused him of things. You can study Philippians and see how he was treated at Philippi. So we know that his message was an offensive message, a stumbling block for those who, who didn't believe. And he, he's telling them basically the heart of the messenger. 
And so there are a lot of contrasts that we want to look here. If you, if you have time, go back through the Bible yourself and look at all the buts and see the different things. All right. And so uh, here is one of the positive things that Paul talks about. He says that uh, he had the, they had the boldness to speak the gospel amid much opposition. Uh, we tend to turtle, go into our shell when we have opposition. Paul stood up preach the gospel. Uh, So we continue on through, and he had the boldness of our God to speak the truth of the gospel, even in the midst of opposition. Our exhortation did not come from error or impurity or by a way of deceit. We are not false teachers. People are accusing us of being false teachers for teaching things that are against the law and righteousness. We are not doing that. We came to you as people that were approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. Uh, Isn't that amazing? Okay, what's your authority? Well, we were approved by God. Jesus gave the message of the gospel to Paul on the road to Damascus. Jesus commissioned Paul to go out and minister. He was approved by God and he was entrusted with the gospel. This is the message. Take it with you. So the authority that Paul has is a heavenly authority compared to the earthly authority that uh, a false teacher might proclaim where he got his power from. He also says that uh, they were, when they were approved that uh, they speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. This goes back to the message being an offensive message. If you water it down and if you change it and you try to uh, present it in a way that is not fully truth, you'll be pleasing men. Take a look at 2 Timothy. People in the last days will desire to have their ears tickled. I feel like we are living in those days right now. Uh, during the pandemic, opportunity to turn on as many different church services as you like. I mean, go on YouTube on a Sunday morning. Go on Facebook on a Sunday morning. See the different churches and the different messages. It's crazy the number of things that are going on. There are people on YouTube, on Facebook, online right now who are preaching a false gospel, but it sounds really good. It's super pleasing to men these blessing messages that no matter what, you are blessed. doesn't talk about sin and obedience, just about blessing and how you can be encouraged and how the grace of Jesus is in your life. And if you live in grace and you live in that uh, world, you will be blessed. Nope. Let's talk about obedience. Let's talk about the word of God. Let's talk about the path to righteousness and how we approach a holy God. Let's talk about the privilege it is to be in the kingdom of God, but let's also talk about the duty we have to be obedient to God. Well, the message is watered down. Why? Because we, it's an offensive message and people want to be hearing things that are uh, more wonderful to the ears than eternal fire and heaven. So we never came with flattering speech, 
as you know, uh, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness to this. So uh, false teachers, all right? So I wanted to take you to Titus uh, really quickly because in Titus, we have this passage that we even looked at last week uh, talking about these false teachers. And these false teachers in Titus, they upset whole families. They're empty talkers. They're deceivers. They're people who teach things that are for sordid gain. That's where we want to get to. Uh, For sordid gain, they teach the gospel for their own purposes. They want to get rich. Uh, There was a gentleman who was a televangelist, and he was proclaiming the desperate need for an airplane, that they needed thousands and thousands of dollars to proclaim the gospel message with this airplane. I'm telling you, I travel all over the country. I've been all around the world preaching the gospel, and I fly coach. (laughs) I don't need an airplane. There's airplanes out there. Sorted gain to get rich for their own purposes, to create their own followers, to create their own uh, like cults and, and things that will be will pick them up and push them forward. Because you know what? It's not about following the messenger, all right? It's not about clinging to the messenger or the person delivering the message. It's about clinging to the message because it's the power that's behind the message. It's about clinging to Jesus Christ. This is so important for us to understand because we in North America, we like to follow personalities. We like to be driven by them. In the world, outside of the Christian world, we look to celebrities to help determine and drive where our culture is headed. Uh, Hang to the message of the gospel. They also didn't come with, you know, wonderful presentations and flattering speeches. Hey, this is the truth. The truth is before you. Guess what? It's an offensive truth, but you should believe this truth. Why should you believe this truth? I'm fully convinced of it. It's changed my life. He says in verse uh, 8, verse 6, we did not seek the glory from men, either from you or for others, even though as apostles of Jesus Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Uh, They went with great humility in preaching the gospel. You know what I think very interesting in Paul? Uh, He still is a man of flesh. Think about it. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. There's good reason to put a lot of credit behind the work that Paul did for the gospel. Uh, We know in Corinthians uh, chapter 1 that there were people who were obviously following after Paul. Some were following after Apollos, and there was some battle between the personalities. But how easy is it for us as individuals to start build up some pride when we get some followers? But Paul here continued to remain humble because he knew and was fully convinced of the message 
and his mission that he just wanted to get it out there wasn't about him. It was about the gospel itself. So they didn't seek glory from men. They weren't standing in line giving autographs. They were doing it for the glory of God. So it's all about our intentions as well. I don't think Paul walked around and started putting uh, marks on a little notebook that said, this is the number of people that were saved through uh, my ministry in Thessalonica or Philippi or wherever he went. He did it for the glory of God because he was serving the one true God. And he wanted to see people that were taken from hell and given eternal home in heaven. He also says in verse uh, 7, We prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. So what Paul's going to do here in the remaining verses that we're going to look at, he's going to break down and he's going to show us two relationships in which he came and he approached this church. The first is as a loving mother. Uh, The example that uh, some scholars would describe as the nurturing mother is the love that a mother has for the baby as the baby is uh, feeding off the bosom of the mother, looking down and just having this great connection and, and love for that baby that you're willing to do anything for that baby to make great sacrifice for that baby because that baby is yours. And that's what he says is, that you came and we came with that, like a nurturing uh, mother. Like a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Our affection for you was well pleased that we loved you so much that we wanted to impart the gospel to you in word and example. We wanted to spend time with you encourage you, equip you, exhort you, give you the truth of the word of the gospel. He says in verse 10, uh, or verse 9, he says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and our hardship, how working night and day, so not as to burden any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. One of the, the um, kind of accusations against Paul was that he was sharing the gospel to make himself rich. That he had this great desire to attain all the money and the wealth from the city that he was in. This was a pretty good trade city. And so the accusation was he just wants your money. And if you were to go and you were to study the life of Paul in the book of Acts you will see that he's described as a tent maker. That as he was there in the city, he would work. He would fulfill duties and a job to be paid 
to be able to provide for himself, that when Timothy and Silas would come along, then he would stop working and he would commit himself fully to sharing the message of the gospel. So what he's doing is he's reminding them, hey, don't you remember when I came to you and I was with you that I was working? I'm not in this for the money. I'm in this for giving glory to God. I'm in this because I love you and I want to nurture you and encourage you and exhort you. I want you to receive the gospel and have your life completely transformed. What they're telling you is absolutely false. Everywhere I went, I have provided for my own needs. He says that uh, you are witnesses. And so is God of how devotely, uprightly, and blameless we behave toward you. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encourage you and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. And so you have here that you've got um, Paul having to really um, defend himself against these accusations and remind them at the heart at which he came. So we want to wrap up this podcast this week, and we'll look at verses 11 and 12. And we've got three words there, exhort, encourage, and implore. Uh, first, the word exhorting is uh, parakaleo. It's to encourage or help or bring comfort uh, or to call by one side. So he says here, just as you know, uh, we were exhorting you, calling to us to your side. We were encouraging you. Uh, we were coming in a way uh, to admonish you or to um, bring you to the point of having the desire to discharge some type of duty. Well, we'll see what the duty is in a minute. But our desire was to encourage you to walk, to receive the gospel, and to stand in the gospel. So the, the desire that Paul came, he came as parents, as parents to a child. Uh, the word imploring uh, means to bear witness. Uh, bear witness by good report and character. It's to be emphatic in an opinion or a desire. Uh, fully convinced of the gospel that I implore you, that I challenge you, that I want you to receive this truth. That goes back to the fully convinced of chapter 1. So if you think about the relationship of a father and child, you know, the father will come along, the father will put his arm around the child, encourage, exhort, and challenge them to live in a way. But there's, there's a way of doing that in a loving way, but there's also doing that and presenting it in a way where you understand the importance of the message and that the message can be life or death. Uh, just a few months ago, we, we were doing this with our daughter. You know, our daughter, she, she um, loves academics. And her first year in grade nine, she, she didn't do too well in her math class. 
So we, we came alongside her and, you know, just Jessica as the loving, nurturing mother, uh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. It's, you know, it's grade nine math. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll come up with a plan. Just, just keep doing your best. But if you fail the grade, you fail the grade. Uh, the, the father in me is sitting there and, and putting, puts my arm around her and, and cause I'm a planner. Oh, I'm a planner. So I put my arm around her and I said, Logan, look, yes, you might fail this grade, but we can put a plan in place. I want to encourage you that it is not the end of the world that you are not going to pass this math class. That let's be, let's think through this. Don't lose sleep over it. Don't lose heart over it. We can do summer school. You can get involved in a summer school program. Well, as I'm recording this podcast, she's in grade nine math summer school. Hey, what else are you going to do in the midst of a pandemic? May as well work on your academics. Well, here she is. She's drawing down 80s and 90s in the same math she took in the first semester of grade nine. It's very interesting to see how she is excelling now in the midst of that. She didn't lose heart. She was encouraged, built up, and continued to move forward. This is what parents do. They come with great love to do those things. False teachers, they come and they present a gospel, and their own gospel, and, and they do it for their own sordid gain. You know what? They don't care about you. They don't care about what your reaction is, it's all about them. And if it's all about them, it doesn't have that focus of a loving mother or a loving father. And this is what Paul's saying. This is how I came to you. This is the heart of which I came. There's a term of conclusion in verse 12, and this is what we'll wrap up. He says, so that you would walk in a manner of a wor- worthy of God. Do you notice it says that it doesn't say that I came to you so that you would follow me. It's so that you would walk in obedience to God. Essentially, what this looks like is you could take those 12 verses in chapter 2 and you could put a big bracket beside them because this is the perfect leader. This is the perfect messenger of the gospel. Humble. No self-driven desire, no greed, no hunger to propel themselves forward and take all the glory. Their entire focus is bringing the message of Jesus Christ for the purpose of transformation of the life of the one who's hearing the word, believing the word, and receiving the word. So too, their lives will be transformed by the gospel and they will walk in a manner worthy of God. It's phenomenal. When you walk through that and you see that Paul is fully convinced of the gospel, that the church is fully convinced of the gospel, that they are starting to live the very same example that Paul had, this is the challenge for you and I. Our motivation, our heart, our desire, our purpose for sharing the gospel. You see, it's a privilege 
to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's our duty to live out the gospel. Father, we thank you for what you are showing us through 1 Thessalonians. I pray that as uh, this message goes forward and begins to sink into the hearts of individuals, that their hearts and lives will be transformed. Would you seek um, after them? Would you convict them of areas in their heart where the gospel is not presented well in their actions and in their words? Father, would they be people that would uh, be so desirable to to come alongside, to encourage, to exhort, exhort and implore people uh, in the way a mother and a father uh, deals with their child, in a loving way to see true transformation and people walking in a manner worthy of God. Father, help us to be more and more like you each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website at www.presetministries.ca.